This podcast is part of the No Phony Podcast Network, the home of independent awesomeness. Did your first lessons in love and sex come from 1980s movies? Put on some protection for your heart, that is, and let's find out. Once again, it's time for the idiots. An objective defense of the 80s. From a couple of idiots. Welcome back to another episode of The Idiots, an objective defense of 1980s pop culture from a couple of the last American virgins. Highly <laughs> <laughs> uh, <I> doubtful. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I should have thought of something ahead of time. <laughs> All right, but hey, I'm sticking with it. Uh, t- today on the show, we're going to be speaking with a 1980s icon who we've long sought uh, after and wanted to speak with since the very beginning of our show, star of The Last American Virgin, Better Off Dead, uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Amityville Horror 2, and many more. Ms. Diane Franklin will be joining us a little bit later on the show. But before that, uh, don't forget to subscribe to the show, like, comment, do all those things that'll help other folks find out about the idiots. And go to T Public and buy a goddamn t shirt already. You know what's funny is like we make like no money off these shirts. So the fact that we Ray make is nothing off anything. <laughs> we don't make any money. <laughs> this is a that's right. This is a passion project, as they say. Or get a uh tractor and you know, in the middle of the night when nobody's paying attention, go to some farm. And, you know, do some crop circles in the shape of Ooh. listen to the idiots. And don't oh, tell anybody. Be, uh, <laughs> that would be awesome. Don't tell anybody and, let you, and just wa- wait. Watch the news and wait to see what happens. Yeah, we could sure use the publicity. To make uh, double what we're making now. <laughs> Two times yeah. zero. Okay, hey, <laughs> enough about our problems. Let's get caught up on <laughs> 80s news. You know, I didn't mean to say enough of our problems uh, as a segue into this, but I've got to tell you about a really serious and terrible problem or situation. Uh, Just a few days ago, our beloved, uh, one of our beloved actors from the 1980s, Rick Moranis, he was attacked in broad daylight. This is early in the morning in New York City uh, along uh, Central Park West near 70th Street, which is in the upper west side of of New York. So some random person, and it's caught on camera just punches him and it takes uh, the actor right down as as it would anybody who's you know unsuspecting not me but not you you're you're like a tank you are a tank except when we play D&D for some reason you are a mag- you're a cleric and you never can be found especially when people are hurt <laughs> yeah. and dying but in real life you're a tank yeah but this has really pissed me off man because i mean this is a look i don't know that that guy who i don't who i still don't think they've found I don't think he knew he was clocking Rick Moranis. It's just this thing that was popular a few years ago. And maybe it's, and I'm reading now in the New York Post that it's a sort of a resurgence again of folks just randomly punching people uh, on the street. Whoever the fuck just punched Rick Moranis, I hope to God that guy gets oh, God. And, and fucking dies. Because mm. Rick Moranis is an 80s icon who does not deserve what happened to him. Yeah. You know what? And, and the guy should be gets all that. Stuff. He should be beat with a baseball bat. Mm. That guy. Yeah. 
And there's gonna be a there's gonna be a bunch of beep beeps on that, but I don't care. <laughs> the whole thing was a big bleep. F- that guy. Let's, I'll, I'll sum up what Ray said. He wanted to go medieval, medieval on the on the attacker on that, and and rightfully so. I mean, it's just uh, it's just disgusting and horrible, and you know. And okay, well, we wish Rick all the best for a swift recovery, um, because we love him, and, and uh, no one uh, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty yep. sure he recovered quickly because he is a man. And he walked to the police station and That's reported it himself. So yeah, and he reported it only after he was done at the hospital getting checked out. Yeah. So yeah. But uh, yeah, f- that guy. Yeah. And 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 hopefully the police will find this person. I know they they've put out the video in hopes of and offered a reward in hopes of being able to bring this person to justice. All right, on to some more positive things. This is really fascinating to me. So you know, recently we had. Uh, posted on Facebook that it was the anniversary of the Dungeons and Dragons animated series from the 1980s, which we love. And it was, Oh yeah. Well, it was just a couple of months ago. I guess we spoke with Ernie Gary Gygax Jr. Who was, I want to say vice president of creative. Um, forgive he me Ernie, did, for not remembering your title, yeah, but Ernie did all kinds of shit over yeah. at uh, TSR. And one of the things was he was, you know, he was out in California, you know, working for TSR, helping develop this cartoon series. Um, mm-hmm. So one of the sad things about the series was it just ended. Uh, if folks remember, you know, you had a group full of kids who, kind of like Atlanta Lost, right? Didn't Atlanta Lost have a... Oh, they went over a, a, a falls and a raft. That's yeah. what it is. It was the Atlanta Lost movie that bit from Dungeons and Dragons, the idea that at a carnival or an amusement mm-hmm. park, you go on a ride and you get transported somewhere else. That's what I'm thinking. So in this show, yeah, these kids get transported to this land of, you know, fantasy land that is the Dungeons and Dragons world. But we never got a satisfying conclusion. These kids never found their way home. And Gary Gygax, Ernie's dad, the creator of Dungeons and Dragons, wanted to see that happen eventually and bring this thing to a conclusion or, you know, have a few more seasons, but it was unceremoniously cut short until now, sort of. A few years ago when they had a uh, re-release uh, of, the, of the films on, on, I think it was on DVD or Blu-ray, they did a radio sort of uh, play of the uh, final script which was written by Michael Reeves and is available online if, if you Google it. And Michael Reeves has talked about it. Um, they did this kind of radio drama and they had an artist that did like a, just stills that sort of told the story of the final episode. So you had these voice actors uh, doing the characters, you know, using the script. And in fact, you had one original cast member returning, Katie, I want to say Lee, it's either Lee or Lay, uh, who played Sheila. She came back to do her voice. So that's all we had as far as a, a, anything like a final episode until now. On YouTube, some fans, and we learned about this from Ernie himself because he shared this on Facebook. So hes they've got his seal of approval. That's about as good as you can get. Uh, some fans created a final episode using the, the uh, audio track from that radio drama version that I mentioned. They c- used clips from the animated show from the original episodes, cut them together, you know, in ways that the lips match and the scenes make sense. They added some new sound effects and clips of music from other episodes. And they created the final episode. It's amazing. This was perfect. I love this. I couldn't ask for more. And since Ernie was the one who shared it, yeah. it was even better. Yeah. Yes. To know that, uh, you know, it, it, again, it had his uh, approval. And, and Ernie, when he shared it, he said that two individuals have spent months of time to create this fan ending episode to the D&D cartoon. He said, this was not the chosen closer that my father had so wished as he had desired at least another season or three. With that yeah. in mind, this fan-generated, not-for-profit episode is first-rate and deserves to be seen and shared with other D&D gaming fans. 
Yeah, and the the funny thing about that is is they were like, we're not worthy of doing this, and we're not up to par. But this thing, it was really good. Yeah. So you guys did a great job. Kudos to you. It's perfect. Yeah. And so for folks that are interested, we'll also make sure it's on our Facebook page so you can find it and check yeah. it out because it's it's definitely uh, worthy a watch. Hey, in other 80s news, we've got a version of Conan the Barbarian coming to Netflix. Uh, of course, we were first treated to Conan, which is uh, an adaptation yeah, there's, of... There, uh, yeah, there's books, right? but we're not exposed to it with the mo- until the movie. Yeah, so I'll write. Our first exposure to Conan was in the 1980s. Of course, those films were based on Robert E. Howard's pulp stories. But the Hollywood Reporter is, is uh, annou- has announced that we've got yet another incarnation of Conan coming to Netflix in the form of a series uh, that uh, Netflix has acquired the rights to these stories and is looking uh, to, um, I guess, tell it in a way that hasn't been, been seen since, which... You know, it could be successful on Netflix. They've got other fantasy shows, like The Witcher is, is really successful. I've watched a couple episodes of that. It was pretty cool. <laughs> what? Why is that funny? The Witcher sucks. Oh, that's why? Well, I've only watched yeah. like an episode or two. Does it maybe, did yeah, it suck Yeah, that's the already? same thing I did. Oh. Netflix. I watched two episodes and I was like, eh, huh. Maybe that's why I'm I done. haven't watched more of it, because it sucks. You don't need more Conan. Conan's perfect the way it is. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, who knows what this is going to be? I guess that's ultimately the question for us always, right? Is do we need some new uh, version of something that was already done well? Until we get King Conan, mm-hmm. I don't want to see Hmm. Now, I remember you were saying last week that one of the downfalls of the, uh, the Destroyer was that it went from an R rating to a PG rating. Yeah, but we were expecting King Conan. I mean, mm-hmm. w- what the hell? What? Where'd it go? Yeah. Now, all of a sudden, we're getting this garbage. Yeah, I want Arnold Schwarzenegger back. Yeah, we did hear that. Well, I don't know if that was a serious tease or not, but yeah, nope, this is what we're getting. Garbage. Um, now, of course, we, we, we they tried already, again, with Jason Momoa playing Conan in 2011, uh, which was a different take on the character, but... I did not... Oh, did anybody see that? I did not hate the Jason Momoa version. It's pretty good, but it's, it's not the Arnold version. I'm so looking forward to when Arnold comes back as Conan. He certainly, look, it's yeah. got to be better than that last Terminator movie he made. Yeah. Well, we're going to ignore that movie. That didn't happen. You know, Conan reminds... Okay, so let me ask you this question, because Conan reminds me of this. When do you think is the first time in the 1980s you saw a head get chopped off in a film? Ooh. Man, that's tough. I'm trying to think if it was Conan. It might be Conan. It could be It could be Friday the 13th. Well, he was cutting people's heads off all the time, wasn't he? Yeah, that's like a common occurrence in that movie. That might be the first been. one, even. Get that machete, doesn't but, it? But, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's probably mm. Conan, yeah. Okay, well, there you go. Is that 80s news? No, that wasn't 80s news. That was Decapitation oh. <laughs> Corner. That's, deca- decapitation, that's decapitation, corner. decapitation News. Yeah. Okay, hey, in other, but really, in other 80s news, we've got great news. We saved it for last. We finally have Did we learned, really? <laughs> we finally have learned, after long anticipation, that the, the next season of Cobra Kai will air on Netflix Beginning on January 8th. Super excited. Yeah. I cannot wait. And in the, in the teaser where they announced the date, they also tease something else, which is that they've already been picked up for season four. Holy crap. Yeah. That's amazing. So if you remember, uh, the originally it aired on YouTube, but YouTube was not interested in going for a season four. Um, so that I'm going to uh, say YouTube's f- stupid. Oh yeah, because they should have picked this thing up. 
Because this thing's amazing. Yeah. And I, I was surprised that, well, maybe it's because YouTube is YouTube and how they did it. Because I remember you had, it was like on YouTube Red at first, and now I think it's YouTube Premium they changed the name. But you had to pay money, maybe you still do, to see it. Because I was surprised that a number of my friends, only after it's on Netflix, are chiming in, hey, did you ever, anybody know about this Cobra Kai show? It's amazing. <laughs> and I'm like, I watched it like two years ago or something. Yeah. Yeah, we all did. But I guess a lot of people have Netflix, but weren't shelling out the money on YouTube like us because we love 80s stuff like we do. Yeah. Um, when you see 80s stuff, you go and you get it. Yeah. Like, take my money. Uh, it was, yeah. So so YouTube had it, but then they weren't, uh, they weren't. Um, committed, willing, willing to commit to a fourth season. So Sony TV, the production company behind Cobra Kai, asked permission from YouTube to shop it around to other outlets that might be interested in a longer life for the series. Netflix picked it up, and lo and behold, it worked out for them because, like I mentioned, we're getting a season four, and we haven't even seen season three yet. Season three is going to be awesome. Season four is going to be awesome. That show is awesome. And maybe the idiots will be more awesome now that we know... When it's coming out. Yeah, because somebody better hook us up with some interviews. Mm-hmm. And those interviews may not go, better not go the way of John Schneider. Well, I'll tell you right now, if yep. they go the way of John Schneider, I'm going to badmouth the sh oh, no. out of whoever does it to us. No, but you're so protective it's, of John Schneider. I love John Schneider. I mean, he screwed us over, but goddamn, I love, love John Ralph Schneider. Macchio and William Zapka. I love Zapka, I love Macchio, but goddamn, I love John Schneider. You're not bad-mouthing Martin Cove. He will find you. John Schneider, I'm not going to bad-mouth. Mm. It's not going to happen. I'm just saying, man, he's one of my heroes from when I was a kid, so there's no way I can bad-mouth him. There's nothing I can do about it. I'm sorry. And that was Ray's Heroes Corner. <laughs> what the hell are you going to do, man? Every segment's going to be a corner now. Now I wish we had corner the corner motif from the beginning. Let's go back. Can we have... Uh, what did you do? What did you, how did you, you threatened a guy? Who, who else did I threaten? Come on. <laughs> the guy who attacked Rick Moranis. Oh yeah, f*** that guy. And that was Ray's Justice Corner. <laughs> All right, let's see. What was the other story you did? Uh, second story was Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. I don't know if that was it. No, no, that was cool. And that was Ray's <laughs> animated <laughs> <laughs> series Corner. I don't know. All right, hey, that, <laughs> I know what that really was. That was 80s news. Dun, 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 dun. Ugh. Our guest today starred in numerous iconic films throughout the 1980s. She broke our hearts in The Last American Virgin and stole them right back in Better Off Dead. She frightened us in Amityville Horror 2 and had us scrambling to build a time machine after her appearance in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. A must-read for any 1980s enthusiast, our guest shares a behind-the-scenes look at these and her other films in her book, The Excellent Adventures of the Last American French Exchange Babe of the 80s. Most recently, our guest appeared in the documentary Skin, A History of Nudity in the Movies, in which she discusses her experience appearing nude before the cameras. And on October 18th, you, yes you, can personally chat with our guest on Zoom. Visit totally80sbabes.com for more information. 
Please welcome to the show, Diane Franklin. Hey, Will. How you doing? I'm doing well. I can't believe we're talking to you now, finally. Wow. This is Aww. fantastic. I'm happy about it. It's great. Very good. So, yeah, we've been, as I mentioned to you just before we started rolling, we've been wanting to talk to you for a long time because, you know, our, our podcast sets out to prove that the 1980s was different for pop culture. For some reason, it just happened to be a happy nexus of a lot of things that we think was a modern renaissance of sorts and birthed a lot of amazing movies, TV shows, art, music that we may not have seen in a 10-year span since. And mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> uh, and your work is, is, is part of that. And, you know, it's and is iconic and, and represents what happens in the 1980s. And, you know, I was reading your, your first, first book, Diane Franklin, The Last American French Exchange Babe from the 80s. <gasps> Thank you. That's very nice of you to mention. It's my pleasure. It's a it's a great book, and if you haven't uh, read it, you need to run out there and check out Diane's book because it's a must read for any fan of of nineteen eighties pop culture. Um, but in the book, you know, you point out so many things that for you were different, and you observed even living in it. You know, during the nineteen mm-hmm. eighties. So yeah, no, I, I was just going to say you're absolutely right. You know, the eighties was uh, the eighties is very different, was very different than today. And I mean, whoever's listening to this, if you've got someone in their 50s or 40s or 50s and they're looking back in time right now from where we are today, they're going to be thinking, wow, that was such an upbeat, fun time. And it was. It was very different. There was, you know, um, it it was a great time to grow up and be a teenager. And it was a time where teen films yeah. who starred actual teenagers as opposed to people in their 30s playing teenagers. <laughs> you know what I mean? That was the time. That was the first. And in fact, I have to tell you, Last American Virgin, that was the first yeah. film I ever did. Um, it was the first film I ever did, and it was the first film. It was also the first film of those teenage films that came out in the 80s. Mm. It was. Uh, it came out the same time as Fast Times at Ridgemont High, and we actually actually made the film before they did, um, and they came out the same week. And... Uh, it it's just phenomenal. And that just kickstarted all the teen films, you know, where right. teens were hired to play leads and stories mm-hmm. focused on teenagers and teenagers were looked at as, you know, they, it was like their story, their lives. And it was more realistic than was presented earlier, you know, in the seventies or, mm-hmm. you know, sixties for teenagers. And what would that have been? I mean, what would account for, finally them thinking they could actually trust teens with their own stories. I don't know, see why another earlier decades would have, I don't know, still cast well, adults, like you said. You know, I think probably it had to do with, um, obviously a lot of the things that were played were things that like in acting, you always were older playing younger because mm. certainly they didn't want to, you know, expose whether you're an actor or not to content that maybe wasn't appropriate, uh, sure. you know, or maybe even, I mean, you know, it, it was very interesting because I know I started acting when I was, um, well, I was born in 1962 and I started acting when I was 10 years old and um, I did modeling and then commercials. Um, but when I did it, the, they were very, um, there were no stories that were really teen driven um freaky friday started to come out i think i remember you know auditioning for that um the exorcist Mm. i mean that was like major but it really was you know it was kids in films but still like 
it was just pushing the envelope. And I do know that the end of the seventies was a very gritty time. Right. There were, you know, it was like taxi driver. There were a lot of gritty films. And then all of a sudden it turned into the eighties and it was like all these films suddenly became were now upbeat. Right. And it was so, and then back in the nineties and it became sort of grounded again. So in my experience, you know, films have a, a thing where, you know, from decade to decade, they change tone. Yep. And I think maybe they balance each other. You know, when you have a very upbeat time, you know, you kind of say, well, yeah, yeah, no, we know the upbeat. Let's get grounded. Let's, you know, and then like Nirvana, let's get like very <laughs> earthy, you know. And so I yep. do believe that generations hmm. shift, you know, with that upbeat kind of feeling. And then they're kind of, you know, it's too glitzy. It's too fake or up, you know, whatever. Um, but I do, uh, I do feel that the 80s had a great upbeat tone yeah. to the whole year, uh, decade. Yes, we agree too. And it's part of it's, mm -hmm. you know, uh, fascinating to me only because, uh, you know, certainly as a kid, we loved the 1980s. We were, you know, we were, Ray and I, we were around the same age. So, you know, we were uh, young kids in the, during that, that time. We, we were teenagers by the end of the decade, but so we didn't know much about what was going on politically, culturally, et cetera. But right. it's, it's interesting to look back and see that, you know, not everybody was having a good time. There was, you know, economically, et cetera, there were different oh. struggles going on. But the pop culture oh, yeah. was still light and fun and frivolous. The country, America was focusing on, I mean, that might have been part of the idea, too, where, you know, let's look mm. at this. Don't look at that. You know, right. like, don't look at the reality, but kind of, you know, like today, right? Don't look at the reality. Look at this. <laughs> but at the same time, um, it's a very... You know, trying to bring upbeat things. Um, but, you know, yeah. new generations, new kids, they need hope. They want something positive, you know. And uh, I will say that it was also a time for women to, I mean, I know like generations before me, you know, it was like people married and they have, their mom was home and dad was working and then kids were raised, you know, by the parents. And then the right. mom would say to the, the, the kids, the daughters go to school, get an education, get out of the kitchen. You know what I mean? It was kind of like that yeah. was the previous generations that, you know, moved the next generation on. So when you had like Madonna and, you know, and uh, she was really, I mean, it was that sexuality coming out, but she was trying to make a living in a man's world. And that's the eighties. You will see a lot of women, mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of women being like sexy, but they were really trying to get out of, they were trying to get into the workplace right. and they were being challenged. And, you know, it was kind of, it, it was the beginning of that. Right. Right. Yes. And how did this uh, play into your own experience as you were trying to make it uh, in, in your workplace in Hollywood? To me, that experience in the eighties was a time where it was great for me as an actress because I, the other women were trying to make a living and doing, um, you know, acting work. So I didn't feel like hamstrung that I couldn't do anything. Like I really felt mm. like, you know what? I want to be an actress. I'm going to be an actress. And I had no, um, I had no one in the business. I, I had no, you know, there was nobody getting me in. I had no connections. So it was really just doing hard work and, you know, going after it, you know? And I think that's really such an important, important part yeah. of the like American dream. Like, you know, you want something, if you work hard enough, you think about it, you, you devote yourself to it, it will happen. And I, believe in that yep. um, because it happened to me. But at the same time, you know, it all depends. Here's my, my take on it. You, you may want something and you know, you want it, but the world may not be ready for you. Mm. So for right. 10 years, I was an actress before I did, la you know, the first film I did, which was last American Virgin. And I could not get a lead. It wasn't my time. And then, boom, the eighties happened and let my hair go curly. And it was like, everyone went, what? That's cool. And I was just, so, it was like, it was my time. 
So I say that to people when you're going after something, work hard because it's, um, isn't it like your big break is when opportunity right. and hard work meet, right? That's what I was just thinking, so, right? Yeah. And, and folks, when you talk about working hard, folks may not realize you were working hard or had this, you were inspired to pursue this career when you were four. Yeah. Right. I knew I wanted to be an actress at four. And there are some parents out there who are thinking, you know, I've got kids and my kid is dancing around the living room or singing. Mm -hmm. And that is when, you know, (laughs) you need to let your kids explore because they'll figure it out. You know, I know even with my daughter, she went, she was like, I want to be um, a vet. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, okay. She knew very early. I want to be a vet. But when she figured out she, what a vet does and then she was like, mm, I don't want to do that. <laughs> she kind of like animals. You have to yes. put down on animals. Like, no, no, no. You have to put a needle so in an animal. When, right. She loves animals. will have animals, but she doesn't want to be the vet. So like what I'm saying is that if you allow your kids to explore yeah. what it is, they'll figure it out. But if you tell them no, guess what they're going to be? <laughs> yeah. So they're gonna, whatever. Yes. That's, you know. Now, my parents didn't. But, but that's a different story. They, they were very supportive of what I wanted, but, but kids know, they know what they want to do. You know, I mean, you, you say that and I, and I trust you and I look, how can I doubt you? You, it worked out fantastically for you. But but I wanted to be an astronaut and that didn't happen. (gasps) And you should have been, I wish you were, but you you know what? I'm lucky that you're doing this with me. So that's okay. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Where would I wouldn't, who would we co-host with me? That's true. Get out there. You can do something, you know, by the time, you know, you never know. We might be going to space soon and then you could be an astronaut. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but, you know, Ray makes a point because, look, uh, I remember my daughter, like yours, one of my, my, I got two girls. My my oldest girl is in college now, but when she was, you know, just four, four or five years old, she said she wanted to be a veterinary dentist. Uh, very specific. Whoa, and then two nice. weeks later, she wanted to be a archaeologist, you know, so mm. um, we certainly don't discourage our kids, but I don't know that I would ever have the, I don't know, kind of foresight or I don't know. Some, your parents well, certainly well, had some kind of vision. You have to, I'll give you the, the hint. The hint was that I went when I was four years old. Uh, I, for some, I don't even know how they did. We went to an agency and my parents found something. I don't even know how legit it was, but the agency said, no, my hair was too short and curly and curly hair was not in for kids. It was all straight hair. It was that blonde, beautiful, gorgeous, straight bang, straight hair for kids. And um, so they said, come back when she's a little older, but I kept my desire mm-hmm. and I just for 10 years singing, dancing, acting like, I mean, like I just was like that kid who was, I just didn't change my mind. And so that's part of it too, you know, and you know, you, as a parent, your job is to help your kids. And so my parents, you know, they saw it. And um, also my parents were like um, grandparents. They were older. My mom had me when she was 40. So perhaps by the time I came, they were exhausted. <laughs> That's another oh, thought. You know? Wait a second. My, my youngest daughter I had when I was 40. Hmm. Yeah, well, I'm in the same boat. <laughs> That's right. right. That's right. Ray and I have kids around the same age. Hmm. Does that mean they think of us like a grandpa? <laughs> no. I wish I would have been a grandfather at that point because kids are exhausting. Exhausting. Absolutely. It is exhausting. <laughs> but it's the best. It's yes. the best. Oh, no, yeah. yeah. We love our kids. And we're raising them on 80s pop oh, culture. Okay, let's get back to this. Well, they haven't seen all your films yet because, uh, well, one of them's mm-hmm. still pretty young. 
good. And I think some are over 18 and some are under 18. That's like great. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures would totally be, yes. you know, for under. It could be for the first film. Speaking of that, mm-hmm. you certainly want to make sure we touch base on some of the films that folks most loved, most loved you, most know you. And you've done, and, and for folks, you know, certainly know, who know your credits, you've done dozens of, of uh, film and TV appearances throughout the 1980s. But, mm-hmm. um, and you mentioned in your book, Bill and Ted's by far the most successful film that you were ever in. And mm-hmm. relative to the other films you were in, it was a smaller role, but really, again, mm-hmm. just a, a big standout. What was it? This is, this is probably a question that could be answered in a whole other book. Uh, but um, what was it like working on a film that t- still today is popular? As you know, we just had another one come out. Well, that, you know, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. This is lovely. Um, I love this film. <laughs> and even then, I knew that the message of the film was totally excellent. Mm. I mean, be excellent to each other. What could be better than that? Mm. And um, it's just, again, you know, you're saying timing, like when does the world get it? And yeah. I am so happy that they did Bill and Ted's three, yeah. um, because that brings that message here. And when we need it the most, I mean, it is just, it's just a, a, a beautiful, um, karma cosmic thing that happened with Bill yeah. and Ted's, um, when it first came out, no, it was not received well, but it wasn't its time. You know, it wasn't the time where that film was was meant a lot even better off dead when i did that film um when it came out it wasn't the right timing in the world um people loved it but when it first came out i think it was just it really is so interesting when you have a film it's how it's perceived by culture at the time so like when better off dead came out like by then a lot of 80s you know teen films came out so the critics were more in charge and the critics were very much like, well, now we have to compare this film to that film. And mm. they didn't even know what to make of better off dead and bill and Ted's also, there was like, well, you know, how can this be a value to society? You know, like <laughs> a silly film, you know, like, right. I mean, it's kind of like a, a head. Right. And then yet at the same time, it's pure and it's simple. And it's an idea. Bill and Ted's was um, created out of fun and, innocence Mm. i mean i think that's really the the key like a lot of times um you know bill and ted themselves are innocent and in a in a time where there's so much uh contention like i don't know if that's the right word but like right now like there's so much going on we just simply need to be just happy to be okay and to be ourselves and there's some the simple basic things i think that that we're looking for in life is is brought about in bill and ted so i'm so excited that the film is out again and and what was it like working on the uh, the original again we didn't have any bill and ted's before so we got to play i mean myself and kimberly cates who played the princesses uh you know talking like the english (laughs) accent and being in the big beautiful castle and uh um, going, you know, we shot it actually in Rome and, uh, but it was supposed to be England and all the extras were Italian. Nobody spoke English. It was very funny. It was like being, being back in time, you know, like a kind of, you know, just a magical experience. And the clothing was spectacular and, uh, it nothing was like it. Nothing was done like that before, you know, that, that there was time traveling in, um, uh, what's the movie? Oh my gosh. I can't believe it. Back to the Future. Sure. But mm-hmm. in this case, we were all historical figures and we all played them very straight. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was There was nothing like that before. And uh, today, I, I, what's great about it is 
um, I know like teachers bring Bill and Ted's to school. Wow. Like they'll show it in their classroom. That's, so it's very exciting. That's wonderful. Did you like the new one? Okay. That's a great question. Guess what? I haven't watched it yet. Oh, okay. Oh, come mm-hmm. on. Now you see. I haven't watched it yet. And I'll tell you, you know, that's a whole other thing, mm-hmm. right? Like I'm very happy they did it. I'm really happy that we have Bill and Ted's here again. Yeah. But it it's a little mm-hmm. mm, it was a little painful because okay. Kimberly and I, the other princess, did ask them to be in the film. And we mm-hmm. did make it very easy and accessible for them to have us in the film. And that's probably my third, fourth book. <laughs> you know, you know, well, <laughs> that probably will be. Uh, but no, I have not seen the film. I, I have to say that I would not be opposed to you guys have been in it. Oh, you know, I don't know why you're thank not. You. In and it. you know, obviously, I mean, I love the new actresses. Don't get me wrong. You know, it's not yeah. about that at all. Um, but thank you for yeah. saying that. I've had some people say they wish we were in the film. I think it would have been a really nice nod to the audience. Oh, yeah. You know, if we were in it. And folks, you know, you were, uh, the roles were recast even in Bogus Journey, which was mind-boggling at that time. But we figured. And you know what? That's part of the story. Absolutely. It was (laughs) mind-boggling to us as well. Yeah. yeah. So we, yeah, when, like Ray says, when we, when we first heard that we were working on this film, we were ecstatic and we thought, okay, here's time to make amends. You know, let's put the, yeah. let's get the yep. gang back together again. It's, yeah, yep. that, that was a big disappointment, but I, uh, we understand entirely. Um, yes. Yes. And, and, and those of you who have not seen the films, well, you'll know, you'll notice that the princesses change. Mm. Um, and my only thought, I mean, you know, I'm, I give everybody the benefit of the doubt. And my first thought was, well, I guess this, they want the focus to be on the guys and they don't want to keep bringing the girls back, but they could have had different princesses. They could have had Egyptian princesses or whatever. So yep. it's not, it's, mm. I'm going to say it's untriumphant. And it's well, the most focus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, I think they might've been scared that you were going to steal the spotlight. <laughs> mm. Well, You know, I tried very, I was very, Again, times where we are, it's it's not about me. This is a this is a very important for people to have good feelings about Bill and Ted. So, sure. my little thing is very small amidst all this, but it is definitely um, it's definitely not something that I take lightly. So, well, you say it was small, but for us, it was huge oh, yeah. because you oh, were amazing so in that nice. movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, see, that's what I I appreciate hearing because you know it's. Um, I think it, it matters to me as a film goer. I mean, I watch a film and I want to see people come back, but you know, it speaks for itself. And the only thing I can say is I guess there was a variety article about it, or I think it was variety. No, wait, um, vanity fair. They did. They mentioned it. So anybody who mentions it, I've, I always feel like, thank you. Just mm. thank you yes. for that noticing. So guys, thank you for noticing. Oh my goodness. Yes, of course. Oh, and yeah, anyone else noticed. who cares, very nice. Thank you. <laughs> you know, and to maybe move to a slightly more, uh, I don't know, positive topic is I, I'm just recalling now, I mean, maybe I was just naive or unobservant as a, as a young man, but I don't know that during the 1980s, and this is just uh, showing how diverse an actress you, you are. I don't know that I realized you were the same person in these films, that the actor who played <gasps> Monique was the same actor that was now English in <laughs> Uh, Bill and Ted, or, you know, was the woman who broke my heart in Last American Virgin. I don't <laughs> know that I put that together until later in life. So you know? cool. Yeah. So that's, I love that. Yeah. I love that. That's one of the things I love about acting. It's that, you know, you watch a film and you're so engrossed in the character, you don't know who it is. You know, you don't go, oh, well, that's so-and-so and she's in that film. Like, you just watch it and you just take it for what it is. So I think that I love that, the you know, again, and my, I didn't do publicity in the 80s. So it really, I, I, it wasn't really until now mm. where I've 
you know, now I'm starting to do podcasts and right. interviews and this was not happening in the eighties. I was very quiet. Um, actors were told really don't, you know, mm. don't publicize too much unless you were, you know, unless the studio did it. Um, it was expensive and it was also something that was considered like you want to keep working. So you don't want to get known for something. I see. So, mm. but isn't that yeah. cool that you didn't know? Oh, yeah. It is yeah. kind of amazing. <laughs> thinking Karen is the same as, yes as Monique, yes. as <laughs> Patricia. This is like, uh, wow. <laughs> yeah. You know, speaking of Patricia, and, and, and so Ray and I, our favorite holiday of all, all year round is Halloween. Yay. So yep. If we could celebrate it throughout the entire month of October, well, we try to find a way to do that, I guess. <laughs> we try. Why not? We, we can't help but notice that, you know, in addition to Amityville Horror 2, of course, where you play Patricia, mm-hmm. you were in Terror Vision and you were in some other, uh, you know, some of those uh, anthology horror shows in the 1980s, which were popular in the 1980s. Yes, Freddy, Freddy's right. Nightmares, right? In the yeah. series. Are you a fan of horror films? I like horror films, but I like horror films that are, um, like, I like scary and horror, but I like films that are not too gory mm, you know yes. like i mean mm. i did like the exorcist i have to say that scared me the most and it was oh, yeah. but it was a great film like it was awesome um and i like poltergeist and uh mm. um i like scary movies um and i like thrillers but i don't i'm not a big fan of like a movie where you see someone's necks chopped off and then the guts are pulled out and then the <laughs> blood goes flying and, you know, like, i don't yeah. need it to be a really long death it can be just really quick uh, um, see i like those but diane you mean like a contemporary film where they do that or or an 80s film where they do that oh well that's interesting you know in the 80s probably was a little bit better because it was kind of still a little well i mean look eight exorcist was the most realistic one of all of those oh yeah so i liked that yeah. but horror is now it's boutique like in different areas like mm. you we now because of the internet, people say like I like horror, but I like horror parodies, or oh I like horror, but I like blood and right. guts, or I like horror, but I like suspense. You know, like so I really feel like now it's become, it's it's a huge market and yeah. it's really cool. Um, but there's a lot of different variety to it. Like I I just did the Amityville Murders, the movie right. that was based on Amityville to the Possession, where I play them. I played the daughter in in the 80s, but now I play the I played the mother in you know 2018 or and what a gift now that's an example of somebody who was a huge 80s fan the director writer daniel ferens and he found me and wanted me to do his film and play the mom in the same story Mm. so now i'm getting the perspective Hmm. of two different characters in the same movie i mean that's mind-boggling right just so so amazing so cool uh for somebody who to be such a fan of the 80s and then bring me back in a film today, which blew my mind. <laughs> blew my so mind. what you're saying is, is the green screen ruins movies and the practical effects of the eighties are what was cool. Ah, good. Yes. I actually do like the practical effects. I mean, yeah. I liked working with the real monster in terror vision. Mm-hmm. I loved it. And yeah. seeing, and even in Amityville working with um, the actor with the face mask and all the prosthetics, I right. guess pros- I don't know if yep. that's the right word. Yeah. Um, and I love that. Yes, today, because there's the green screen, it kind of takes away the, mm. I don't know. I think oh, it's yes. just audiences are too educated, and I think they they know it's not real. And It's like a subconscious level. There's something visceral about yeah. it really existing versus, yeah, your brain just tells you, yeah, that was created in a computer. 
You know, yeah. talk, thinking about the monster, the practical mm-hmm. monster in Terror Vision, for example, is there any chance that was really scary to work with? It, it seems like it probably would have been ridiculous to be there with that thing on set. It, oh, right, exactly. So, <laughs> it was. It was actually okay. It was big. It was. De- it was probably like six feet. Wow. Tall. It was, it was big. Yeah. Maybe it was a little small, but it was definitely <laughs> five eight. Five. It was pretty big, and it was wide, and it was covered with goo <laughs> um and then there were guys inside it so here's what my feeling was it Those was gross guys. to work with because it was <laughs> but at the same time there, and there was no music so it was like the right. you know you could hear the gears moving and the thing um so it was it was comical to watch probably hmm. from the standpoint of like talking to i'm you know sincerely talking to this monster yeah. and uh <laughs> and then like they're filming it so i think if you were on the outside, you'd be laughing your head off because it would have been really fun, for sure. Do you, uh, is Halloween something that you, again, this is the month of Halloween, so for us, is, is Halloween a, a I love Halloween. Yeah. Oh, I love Halloween. In fact, one of the things, well, obviously having, I have two kids, they're now in their 20s, but yeah. um, when they were younger, I made their costumes every year. Mm. And like, you know, I made, you know, my daughter wanted to be a giant chicken. I got like a Teletubby outfit, and, you know, sewed feathers all over it and, you know, made my son a giant ketchup bottle and, you know, just like, yeah, I went for it. it was, Wait, were those, uh, were those two in the same Halloween? The chicken ran around, went out with the ketchup? It sounds um, like a meal. There was, I think one, yeah, you know what? Yeah, no, it does. I, I was a quail year. I'd made giant quail costume. I don't know. It was, it was, you know, when they were younger, I would make, I make the costumes. And then when they were older, they would start putting them together. So that was really fun. But um, I know that the first thing, I was a big fan of um, X-Files. I was a big fan. So one of my first, uh, my son's first costumes was, uh, I made him into a little, uh, Mulder and like, like he was in a little suit with a badge. <laughs> it was really cute. Now, was he, he was maybe one. I was going to so ask if he was old enough to object. Okay. No, no, he was not old enough to. I, I got there. I got adorable. the costume before he was able no. to go, Mom, who is Mulder and why? Are you dressed as Scully or an alien or something at that time? No, I was just the mom carrying, mm. carrying. A little mini Mulder. Oh, gosh. It with sounds a little adorable. Suit. It was so, so adorable. Out of control. With his badge suit. and his like FBI badge and very cute so <laughs> so i've got to tell you you know speaking about the films you did you obviously mentioned the, the first film that you did uh last american virgin uh, mm-hmm. and the impact that it had on certainly me it had to be other people in my generation i would think uh i saw it you know you, you, like you talked about better off dead and i guess bill and ted to some extent some some films weren't huge in the theaters but it was the era where videotapes were becoming more prevalent and so mm-hmm. a lot of kids experienced movies from the rental store for the first time and Yes. Well, you know, I, I will, I'll tell you an interesting thing about Virgin. First of all, when Fast Times came out, that was sort of like the American version of Virgin. Mm. Like essentially the certain, the same things happened kind of, mm. but Virgin was much more real. And to a certain extent, I think there were a lot of people who saw Virgin that would not admit they saw it. I mean, the title, oh. The Last American Virgin. Right. I don't know if people would admit you know, and maybe to their friends, but certainly not to their parents. They're not going to go, hey, mom, can we go see that movie? It's not going to happen. It's just not. It was rated R. um, And, uh, but I do think that that movie, once it certainly got the video stores, went crazy. And honestly, I'm sitting here talking to you. The fact that we're even talking about the American Virgin, better off, I mean, even better off dead and Bill and Ted's, like shock, even, you know, Amityville too. Like seriously, I, I'm shocked. And, and it's only because 
uh, of the internet. Because if we didn't have the internet and we, I mean, first of all, when we did the movies, there was no VHS. So you never thought someone could ever see your movie again, unless it was in the movie yes. theater. And yeah. And, and I didn't see it. Last American Virgin, maybe even better off dead till they were on tape, but I was too young when last American Virgin came out in the film in, in the theaters. But by the time I was 13 or 14 years old, there was this, mm-hmm. my, my parents, my, my dad, uh, would, uh, he almost had like a video, like a movie dealer, you know, I, I don't mm-hmm. know that my dad understood what piracy was, but certainly I didn't. Oh, right. <laughs> but every every Friday night, my dad would come home with like, you know, 10 videotapes of movies from mm-hmm. a friend of his, and then he would return them the next week and he would get 10 others, you know, and they were clearly copies right. now that I think back. And Last American Version was one of them. And this was an era at the time for me when I was just probably hitting puberty and getting mm-hmm. interested in girls. And my parents didn't want to talk to me about sex. So what, instead what they did was when we had movies like this, they were like, yeah, watch whatever you want. You can watch that if you want. <laughs> right. if, I think as if hoping I would learn from a movie and then they wouldn't have to talk to me about how things yep. work. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. This is exactly right. Like, okay, first of all, like that age before you can drive, you know, that 12, 13, and you are home and there was no internet. Yeah. You know, that was like a big deal, like to have those movies at home. And you learned, I oh, mean, yeah. everybody learned about growing up. And I will say this about Virgin for, for whatever it's worth. It is great education. I mean, I think it's great education for guys. Like every guy should see this movie. Not just, I mean, essentially you learn about sex, you learn about love and women. I mean, a lot of girls like it too. They, you know, but you learn what to do, what not to do. And I think it's a, yeah. it's a pretty cool film. I mean, it's, it's one of the films I never, um, I never realized the impact it would have on people. I thought, oh, well, maybe, you know, it would be out in the theaters. I never thought people would still watch it today. There's so many other films to watch, but um, it obviously, it struck a chord. And then that ending of the film oh, makes right. it, yeah. y- you can't let it go. So I, It sticks with me today. Like I can remember, oh, and again, we had it on sorry. video. So, uh, you know, I, when I, well, a couple of things. One, and you point this out in the yeah. book too, that the film is a couple of different tones. And so as a, I guess as a young man, again, it was like I was lured in for the sort of aspect of it that seemed like Porky's, you know, where, hey, right. you're getting mm-hmm. to see you're naked bored, women right. and, you know. Of course, fun, around. it's going to be fun, That's we're going to have laughs. And then yeah. this serious tone, you know, with, with Karen and, and Gary and Rick and the consequences in dealing with abortion. I mean, all these serious. So yeah. it was like, wow, sex seems like something like exciting issues, yeah. to me. And then, you know, the ending, the film, like, wow, I need to avoid that. That seems, that's really, you know. Right. See, it was confusing. It was a very confusing. Yes. It doesn't get it. Then it, it, it's because there is, you know, in America, like also first, I was always saying that it's called the last American virgin. So we're all expecting right. it's American. We're going to have a happy ending. Mm. So that's the first thing. It's a, a mm. shock, you yeah. know, but um, it's and I remember Boaz, you know, he said to me, you know, Diane, you know, he's, we were all when we got the film, we all got the script. We're like, you're going to change this, right? Because we're we were all Americans, uh, you know, like we were born in America. We're like, you're going to change the ending, right? Because right? it's it's got to have a happy ending. We didn't even realize why, but we just said, well, you know, and he's mm-hmm. like, no, Diane, you know, this is the mm-hmm. way it is. This happened to me. It really <laughs> happened to me. And this is the way that the movie is. And it is real life. And. And <laughs> I think he didn't even realize. I know I became the last friend. Another voice but, you uh, do. <laughs> yeah, rap course. Um, but I don't think he even realized how it would impact America. Hmm. Like, I mean, I know it's a remake of a movie called Lemon Popsicles in Israel. So if you are interested, 
you should watch the first Lemon Popsicle movie because they made a series of them. It became huge in um, – it was like the Star Wars of, of <laughs> films in Israel. Like, but uh, in America, we only had made Last American Virgin, yeah. which is amazing. Um, it's And yet at, at the same time, I think if you watch it today, you will be able to relate to it. Oh yeah, I don't. Yeah, I, I've dated some women who unfortunately turned out to be Karens and broke my heart. <gasps> and oh my god, know, and, as, and as if that name isn't bad now. Anyway, <laughs> public, right? I was like, <laughs> I haven't thought of that. Yeah, but yeah, <laughs> yeah they, right? You know, it, it, that was look. It's a trope in real life. It's this thing you yeah. experience as man. Well, the you love this girl and she chooses the guy that's bad for her. And, oh yes, I could write many yeah. ballads I, about that. I'm on the other aspect. You're the of bad that. guy. That's who my girlfriend. I'm the bad guy. <gasps> <laughs> You're Rick. Well, that's happened oh. there's some guys who went i'm not gonna yeah. be, i'm not gonna be, you know gary i'm gonna be rick you know and yeah. i was gary well that's my advice to everyone be the bad guy oh right be the bad guy right there you go that's yeah that See, was the lesson you learned diane we balance yeah. each other out on this show clearly I'm we gary do and he's a rick so that's that's how that works good what, good i'm glad <laughs> what, what's interesting you know we talked a little bit about better off dead but this this idea again and i don't know at the time i realized it, you had played both roles but to come across then just a few years later, uh, your character as Monique in Better Off Dead, you know, a mm. very different, uh, you know, young woman that, again, now it, we fell for Karen and she tricked us in the last American right. version. But Monique is someone that, you know, was strong and, and talented and and beautiful mm-hmm. and foreign, which, how did we, we didn't even know we liked that until we met her. Until we saw it. You know, um, and that, and Monique is like the role model. You know, like Monique is the one like, you know, you go, oh, I wish I could be with a girl like, you know, she's she can do it all, you know. And I, and I, but I really Monique was a, such a great character. I I just was so excited to to get that role because for me, um, I had seen a lot of movies where the capable girl was always um, uh, awkward and boyish, mm-hmm. like she was. You know, she'd be the tomboy kind of, you know, I mean, in a sense Uh, to me, but tomboy meant like there was no femininity. So to me, Mm -hmm. what I really loved about Monique was that I could be because I guess I guess it was because I was French. You know, I could Mm -hmm. wear a dress or I could be graceful or I could, you know, or I could be like I, I could have girlish things as well. But but I could still fix a car and I could also go skiing. And, you know, there was no <laughs> ever thinking I couldn't again, just like when we were little, like, what? well, of course I'm going to ski and fix this car and, and, you know, make, fix your problems. And, you know, like, just, yeah. um, so it's, I don't know. It's a kind of interesting thing. And I, I, but I loved Monique and I'm, it never occurred to me. Like, I just think of acting as acting. And I, I like to, if I'm excited to buy the roles, then I go for it. I don't look at the movies as much. I look at the roles and what can I do with them? And I was so excited to play Monique. I, I had just come from a film where I did a French accent in another film before. Right. And I was like, oh, but you know, um, Monique was also like such a wholesome character. And, and I loved working with John. It was a great time working on that film. We just had a blast. It was very fun. Which, which brings me to my question. Mm. Who was more fun on set for Better Off Dead, Curtis Armstrong or John Cusack? Oh, okay. So you got to throw Dan Schneider in that, there too, right? And Dan, very, very, very funny. Well, we so could fun. throw him in, but I think he might put in the winner. But I'm asking about Curtis and John. Well, who was more fun to hang out with on set? Oh, 
Um, you know, I gotta say, I mean, eh, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna preface this by saying John was very sweet and really nice, and we had a good time. But John is, um, John was more, you know, he's more serious. So yeah. um, it was Curtis. I mean, Curtis was hilarious. I mean, Curtis is. I knew brilliant. it. <laughs> he's brilliant. He is funny, offset and on. But it's because he's so smart. He is such a smart guy, and he is. He and he's so self-effacing, which is adorable. And I mean, we're still friends to this day. I'm friends with Amanda and um, John. I actually even saw at a convention a couple of years, maybe a year ago. Even it was a year ago. No, no, two years ago. I saw John at a convention. But Curtis, we we stayed in contact. That was one of yeah. those films that we, as kids, we rented and then we just we watched it as long as we could before we had to return it. You know, so we just watch it again. Oh yay! Yeah. I think Fantastic. He, and you could rent it for like five days for a dollar or something back then. I don't know. Yeah, remember that? That <laughs> was just, I remember that. Would you say that Monique is the, the character you feel closest to or is closest to yes. you? Oh, yeah. It's close. Monique is the closest I am. If I could be, I mean, if I was, if anyone knows me, they would say I'm closest to Monique. Mm-hmm. Except I don't talk sexist. It's a French accent. <laughs> but, uh, but I am very much like Monique. I can, you can do it and, uh, you know, uh, you're going to do it. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> You know, I thought it was fascinating. We 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 spoke to uh, author Hadley Freeman, who's a journalist with The Guardian, but she's also written books about the 1980s and film and the impact on her and she believes on culture. And she pointed out, and this was a surprise to me, I was, you know, again, we try to defend, I shouldn't say that, we, 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 we're we an objective show. We're just exploring, but we believe our thesis right. is that the 1980s was objectively the best decade for pop culture. So I really yeah. wanted to find out, like, what were the roles for women like in the 80s? Because... You know, much like mm-hmm. is talked about in the, in the skin documentary that you in which you appear. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, we've got this mix of situations where women appeared nude in films, and you explain that you know you did it willingly. You never felt like you were you know uh, controlled yeah. or you know. And then there's obviously there's terrible stories in skin, and we spoke to mm-hmm. Cindy Morgan about her bad experience with John Peters. Um, mm. So. I thought yeah. I thought that's all I'm going to learn about 80s, you know, fem- feminine roles. The but- 80s was a is this is a really good thing you're bringing up because what we're learning is that the 80s was the time of the transition for women. So um, not just I mean, if you're talking about women in general, it started off being really gritty in the late 70s, right? right. And Last American Virgin, you know, women there was nudity, a lot of nudity in films of Porky's and all that stuff, and nudity was a big part of um, the what gets people into the movie theaters. Again, it was the movie theaters. It was right. it was like what we're not going to show this on TV. So how do you get people into theaters? Ah, right. And so they really pushed nudity. They'll push drugs. They put a lot of stuff in it so that people would get people out of their houses and to the theaters to watch it. Which right. actually is a smart idea because look, if you've got little kids, you don't have it in you know anything in your home necessarily. You can you know you can go to the theater and watch whatever you want. So mm-hmm. I think sure. that was a cool idea, you know, and, but also for women, again, you're given the opportunity to young women are given the opportunity to get jobs, but what they have to do to be in these films, you know, maybe they're not necessarily willing to do, or maybe it's a very small part. I had big roles. So, mm-hmm. I mean, if it's a small part and you're just doing nudity, will you, you know, it, it's kind of feel like, well, that's just maybe exploitive and using me and that's not cool. Um, and, or who knows uh, how else that goes, but it's, it's definitely a part of entertainment and like, how mm-hmm. do you, you know, it's, it's like, it's a very delicate thing because 
People, girl, actresses come from many different places in order to be an actress. Some are desperate. Some are, you know, I don't care. Um, and but for for whatever it's worth, in the '80s, this was the transition where women were trying to become, get more respectable roles, and. So it has to start somewhere. So it's not going to be clean cut. You're not going to go to the 80s and go, well, everybody was like wholesome and nobody, you know, right. did anything licentious. It's like, no, I mean, every decade goes through it where, you know, there's people who want, I mean, don't kid yourself. The 80s is not the only decade, obviously, that had, you know, things that were, uh, let's say, I don't know, inappropriate, right? Like sure. necessarily, but it was the time where women also tried to use that to their advantage and and make themselves get jobs and be be seen in the culture as equals. I really, it's just, it was a very big part of women's, uh, um, I don't know, emancipation, I guess, or 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 being seen as equals. I, I, all I can say is is that to me, growing up, I thought, well, I don't know, like I always just thought it was that way, and then. You know, having done, you know, when I did that documentary, Skin, um, they asked me and originally, look, let me tell you something. If somebody had said to me, I think you should do it, I would have said no. I wouldn't have done it. Do the documentary, you mean appear in the... Yeah, the documentary, Skin. Yeah. But they they asked me specifically and I thought about it and I went, you know what? This is my moment to say what happened to me and what was true. Mm -hmm. And it's so important for people to understand, you know, not hearsay, but hear it from you know, each actress, what our experiences going through stuff like that and also how we, um, how it affected our career and our lives. And, um, I really feel like, you know, you have to carry your dignity with you. And when you do something, you have to back it and you can't just be, um, it doesn't define you unless you define yourself that way. So, um, I have to say, uh, this is just in like in history, Everything's coming out now, and that's good. Yep. You know, we need to be talking about everything. We need to clean out our our closet. Yep. And I think in America, uh, in the '80s, it was a chance for women. They were, everybody was, we were. There was stuff going on, but we were moving forward in a positive direction, and there was a positive energy. I'd have to say the energy was the most important thing. Well, I was surprised. Upbeat, fun, positive energy. You must have felt that. To to your point about. Uh, women's roles in films evolving and women taking more control and that um, I was surprised, at least from Hadley, Hadley's point, point of view, and um, that we we saw more, she, she believes we saw more films in the 1980s where we had strong female characters like Monique mm-hmm. that were also mm-hmm. uh, were seen as attractive by the men, male characters. She argues that in future, you know, in, in generations since, we see less of that. When the example she gives, you know, you've got uh, Baby Boom and Working Girl. You've got strong, independent women who are business yes. women who are right. sought after by Harrison Ford, you know, and mm-hmm. they see no problem with it. Where you see a film, she points out in The Devil Wears Prada, which is, you know, I think a 2000s film, where at the beginning of the film, uh, the main character is dumped by her boyfriend because she works too hard. So it was surprising that the 1980s, like you're saying, we, we started yeah. to see that. And, and maybe it's... I don't know, slid back in some well, way since. It, oh, here's what it, it will, it evolves. It goes back, it goes a little forward, then it pulls back, forward and back. Yes. I mean, look, once the, I mean, let's, this is so, uh, it's, it's so interesting. And it is where we are in the world. It's that it's, we go back and forth because we, it's it always the new generation is trying to become, um, 
the it. Mm. So for instance, um, okay, in the eighties, so women were trying very hard to be in the business world. Okay, well then we get in the business world. But now we have to deal with, oh wait a minute, now I'm in the business world and I have to be a mother. Or if I decide to be a mother, do I decide or not? And if I do, how do I do that? And then came the 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 level of wait a minute, are the husbands are they? First, it was like, oh, husbands aren't going to do anything. Now, husbands do do things. Husbands proved they was wrong and said, no, we're going to help you and clean you. We're equal partners, you know. So mm-hmm. as things go, like we evolve, um, everything it's sort of like a mobile. The balance changes in the mobile right. and shifts. So I think that. I think it's getting better, um, and I think that it, it just the mobile will continue mm-hmm. to shift. That's just the way it goes, you know. Um, and you know, hopefully, um, you know. And it, it, I think it's just always there's always going to be some shift. Mm-hmm. And you know, again, it's just an example of like today, just even just being around uh, the political world um, where you know. It's it's very extreme, but it has to happen. This all extremism is is was bound to happen. It was inevitable. What's going to happen from it, we don't know. But I just think that it's kind of where life is right now. And we, you know, I don't. It's funny. I know a lot of people like we go back and we go, oh, I wish it was like the old days. Hmm. And you know, it, it it won't be. It couldn't be. But at least we have the old days. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, it's not going to be like that. Now it's going to move on to something else for the new generation, but we do, we can look back and I love nostalgia. Like I look back at like the, you know, thirties and the forties and, and like the dancing and the old actors and the, I love that. Um, but I try to take something from it positive. And so that's what I'm hoping that you have people watch your show and look at the eighties and go, I want to take something from that and bring it to today. Well, Diane, we want to thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. Finally, we're so grateful. Oh, your uh, our 1980s was better <laughs> off uh, for having you in it. I was trying to make some kind of know, nice. pun like for better that. off. Okay. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> thank you, Diane. That was great. She is so delightful. You know, she is, you know, they say, they say don't meet your, what, don't meet your uh, idols or something like that. But uh, couldn't it be more uh, wonderful and easy to speak with her? She's uh and it's so great to hear that she's more like Monique and less like Karen, who broke all of our hearts and confused mm-hmm. us in the 1980s about sex <laughs> oh, and yeah. love. And oh my goodness. Um, so, look, we learned a lot about different films that Diane Franklin was in. We learned even some of the changes that came about during in Hollywood during that time and how it was better than it is today. But did we prove anything? I'm pretty sure we did. You, you oh, Really? Okay. I'm pretty sure. All right. You're, yeah, let's see. We have proven. Wow. Beyond a shadow of a doubt. That's confident. Okay. That Diane Franklin was amazing in the 1980s. <laughs> I should have asked you to do the wrap up like 20 minutes eh, ago. What are you going to do? We should start with the wrap up. <laughs> I am. What I am going to do is say, hey, absolutely. And we will talk to you next time on The Idiots. See ya. See ya.